the small town kind of smaller deals, more, you know, market value deals uh, are not happening because you've got players basically making a guaranteed salary uh, from these boosters and booster collectives. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I'm your host, Andrew Brandt. We are presented, as always, by DraftKings. The music you hear below is one Sam Brandt, who's actually home with me, home from L.A. We're produced by Brian Neal, and I have a special edition for you today. The much in the news, name, image, likeness, college sports, the what I've called the professionalization of college sports, where NIL has become what was so innocent to begin with, with these little Instagram posts and merchandise and now these athletes getting a few hundred dollars and quarterbacks taking their linemen out to dinner at a steakhouse once a week. That was all nice. But now we have collectives, directives, packages for athletes to do exactly what NIL said they weren't going to do. Recruit and give packages to athletes to get them to stay at the schools. There's all kinds of abuse stories out there. And now we've gotten to a breaking point where the NCAA is trying to reestablish controls of this space. No better person to talk to than Ross Dellinger, the writer and commentator for Sports Illustrated that has been covering the NCAA issues from the beginning before NIL and before now this enforcement, whether it does or doesn't happen. So I couldn't think of a better person to sort of dive into this, me with my academic understanding of this and teaching it, but also someone on the ground, boots on the ground, covering this in depth. And that would be Ross Dellinger. So without further ado, from Sports Illustrated, to talk about name, image, likeness, doing a deep dive. Here's Ross Dellinger. Ross, you've been a colleague at Sports Illustrated. We haven't met. Obviously, we're in different spaces with me primarily on NFL stuff and you with college stuff. But great to have you on. I really followed your work on name, image, likeness and the changes, changing landscape of college sports. So good to get into it with you on my podcast. Thanks for being on. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's good to be on talking. Uh... Talking all things NIL. <laughs> yeah, let's sort of back up there because we won't go too far back. But I just remember June, gosh, it's 11 months ago, I guess, where um, this is the way I see it. And you've been covering it a lot deeper than I have. But what I saw was the NSA gearing up, if you will, to put guardrails around name, image, likeness for what I thought was like two years. And the committees and Val Ackerman, I'm involved with the Big East and all these things going on. And then it looked like in June, after the Alston decision, which we can talk about, they kind of threw up their hands. Like, it seemed like this was all ready to go, like guardrails, rules, regulations, restrictions, governance, and then nothing. Is that the way you saw it going back 11 months? Yeah, pretty much. They had a plan A. Uh, they didn't have a plan B, really, it, it seemed like. Uh, plan A was this permanent NIL policy that, like you said, they spent two years on that would provide some restriction and, and regulation to NIL and college athletics. And I think after the 9 nothing loss in the Supreme Court, which, as you know, um, to, to get down to the gist of it, right, uh, basically said you can't limit or uh, restrict athletes and so that permanent policy they'd been working on and planning to implement, it restricted athletes um, and, and it limited and it had some limitations in it. So they abandoned it. And uh, they, their plan B was a very vague interim policy that has allowed, as we see now, uh, 
boosters, booster collectives to kind of skirt around the, that, that policy. And, um, and, you know, for lack of a better word, recruit, right? Like they're just recruiting for the schools. And uh, so the NCAA is trying to get its hands around this thing by re-implementing some of the elements that were in the permanent policy. Although now, as they say, right, the uh, the genie's out of the bottle. So can it can it go back in? Yeah, I want to get to the kind of the, the genie out of the bottle stuff and the collectives and directives. Let's start with a more innocent look <laughs> at NIL because that's that's what it was meant to be and that's what it seemed like it was for a while, right? So July 1 hits and all these little deals come out and it was the Cavender twins, the Fresno State duo that women's basketball, a lot of women's athletes. And, and I remember Kenny Pickett taking his offensive linemen to a steakhouse every week. And I remember uh, some fun stuff, you know, with, with walk-ons getting money. So it, it looked like, okay, this is so, I don't know what the word is, wholesome almost. Like now, and then, well, and I, people don't realize is, you know, a, a women's softball player couldn't go give a private lesson for hundred bucks to a local kid. And now she could. And now you could have camp money and now you could go, you know, to a kid's birthday party and get 500 bucks. When, right. when did this change? I mean, could we have anticipated that this innocent part of it would not be the end? I think that a lot of people in college athletics did expect boosters to find a way to, to get involved. And, in you know, Mark Emmert is, has started in, I think it started in December, 2019 is his first trip up here to DC to lobby Congress for federal NIL legislation. And the biggest talking point was because of recruiting um, because it would eventually lead to um have an impact, an adverse impact in recruiting, that it wouldn't stop at the innocent deals. And so they knew it was coming. Um, I don't know if they knew that it would happen so quickly. Uh, and, and I don't know that if, if, I don't know that they really knew that boosters would be so organized and would pool themselves and pool money and just start, um, getting pretty brazenly hands-on with the recruiting process. Uh, they knew it eventually, I think, would happen, and that's why they were lobbying so much for federal legislation. But, man, it has happened really quickly, where all of the good stuff and the innocent, like, NIL stuff, what it was originally intended for, now gets buried yeah. beneath these million or hundreds of thousands of dollars con NIL contracts that really are recruiting inducements and i had a um someone from an nil marketplace I, I thought spell it out for me really really well um the you know this was intended as you mentioned for one of the things were for local college town businesses to like to to pay athletes and get them to you know put them on a billboard or a commercial or whatever well you know so so and so little italian restaurant in college town say in tuscaloosa or something um, they're going to want to pay an athlete what market, you know, what, what like fair market value would be to come, you know, do a do a commercial. Maybe it's like, I don't know, five thousand, five hundred, or a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars for a commercial. They they can still do that and offer that, but 
I don't know that that athlete's going to do that because guess what? From so and so booster, he's already getting fifty thousand dollars a year. So why does he need to go do this little business? And I never looked at it like that, but that is happening. That is for sure happening. Is that the intention of NIL, the small town kind of smaller deals, more you know market value deals, uh, are not happening because you've got players basically making a guaranteed salary. Uh, from these boosters and booster collectives. So you think that just started with one program basically saying, hey, you know, now that we can do this, you have a guaranteed amount of X and we're going to keep you here. I mean, it just seems like this this uh, perfect storm of NIL, transfer portal, uh, guys with options. Um, and do the do you think the boosters saw this as a way to cheat the rules that have been in place that we're going to talk about in a minute that have been in the books forever under the guise of NIL? I mean, again, it seems that the, that way, right? Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. Uh, these boosters, you know, look, let's let's be honest, you know, we, we had cheating obviously long before this and, and payments to players long before this, it just went under the table and the amounts probably weren't what we're seeing now. And it just wasn't happening to the extent, you know, that we're seeing now um, when you make it legal, right. Uh, you have more people doing it and the price goes up uh, mm -hmm. astronomically. Um, but this started, I think, I think even before July 1, schools were already recruiting to this. They were recruiting what they called to NIL. Right. They were promising players, uh, hey, if you come here, here's what we got set up for our players. Here's what they're going to be getting. Here's what you could, you know, you could get deals with. Here's local this, local that. That's how it started. And I think then it went, then it just slowly, it, the promises got bigger and bigger and more serious, you know. So it went from like, Here's what our players are getting. You could get this to uh, here's what our players are getting. Here's what we got lined up for you. Um, here's a contract or a, a fact sheet of, of what you'd be getting if you sign with us. And then it got to the latest thing is probably here is the deal. Sign it. Like, yeah. like you know, this is, it's just progressively gotten, gotten more and more, I guess, egregious as some might call it. Uh, and these boosters have gotten more and more aggressive. And what happens is, and with the transfer portal and the one-time transfer exception, it's kind of a perfect storm now that uh, players can move and play immediately. And you have this big transfer portal they're all in. Uh, then it becomes a bidding war for transfers. And that's that's really where it's gotten crazy. It, it, it has gotten pretty wild on the high school level. Um, but it kind of was always that way. Um, just kind of done under the table, uh, maybe not done to the extent we're seeing it on the high school level, but the transfer portal is the real one here. You're having uh, agents of players or players themselves, like telling their coach, hey, I'm getting in the portal if you don't offer me so-and-so because these other schools are promising if I can get in the portal, I can get this much. And we're, we're seeing that happen, and, and we're seeing that happen a lot. A couple of the uh, stories that I've heard out there, and maybe you can add. <laughs> Obviously, we're not mentioning names. Well, I'll mention one name, actually. There's a story out there, not story, but there's kind of industry sources talking about Texas A&M's football recruiting class, the top recruiting class in the country, 
that I don't know brought in 24, 25 players. There's a rumor that cost them 20, 20 to 25 million dollars for that recruiting class. And you start thinking about that like a million dollars per player. And then we hear about University of Texas with the horns for heart and every scholarship on offensive lineman getting fifty thousand dollars to do what? Well, show up at birthday parties. I don't know. <laughs> do something. And then we hear about um, the high school player from California, whose name is not Arch Manning, who's going to go to allegedly Tennessee for $8 million, $2 million a year of NIL. I mean, th- these are out there. You you hear them as well. I mean, these, these are real, right? Some of it is real. I, I think uh, that has been the difficult thing for everybody kind of in the space to get their hands around is what is real and what's not. Um, I think the A&M stuff is not real. Uh, I don't think, I don't think the 25 to 30 million for a recruiting class is real. 10 million, maybe five to 10 million for the recruiting class, probably Mm. uh, over the course of their four year career, probably more, more realistic. Um, You know, and I, I reported in a long story last week about NIL, how most schools and booster collectives are pulling money to get to a certain amount, five, 10 million, one of them in Florida, uh, University of Florida trying to get to 20 million. And that would basically cover, and there's, there's kind of an evolving salary for a football player, basically an NIL salary. And it's 50 to hundred thousand dollars per player. That's what the top schools, top five to 10 are doing. And if you raise $5 million, well, that's about, 85, you know, you have 85 scholarship football players. It's about 50,000 per football player if wow. you raise about 5 million. So that's kind of, we're seeing that developing uh, across. And again, this isn't everybody. This is the top, you know, two to 3% right. of, of FBS. It's, it's probably the top 10 to 15 schools, but that number is probably expanding um, with each day. That number is expanding. I was just talking to a power five school in the big 10 with the collective that just started last week. So thing collectives are just still starting um, as the NCAA is trying to like crack down on them. Uh, and I think, but a lot of the deals you're talking about are real, right? So um, I, I do think the Tennessee uh, quarterback situation, I think that is real. I, mm-hmm. I've talked to people who have seen the contracts. They manage the, the Spire group, the collective in they have seen the contracts and they say it is real. It's $8 million. I think that's an outlier, Yeah. but for quarterbacks at the top, top elite high school quarterbacks, and maybe even transfers, um, you know, a, a million to at least a half a million dollar a year is, seems like the going rate. It brings up the obvious question and we're going to get to what's happening now in Congress and, and with, with the NCA, but who are these athletes beholden to? I mean, it's not the coach, and it doesn't seem to even be the AD. It's really the donors, the way I see it. It's like that donor or that collective or that directive, that specific donor brought me in and is paying me. Now, again, I'm not saying paying illegally. I do birthday parties or whatever I do, quid pro quo. But that's my report, it just seems that. And this is kind of a more uh, wholesome look at college sports in general. Forget the money. Where's the reporting mechanism now? Because just think about it, and I'm sure you have, if the coach says, yeah, I'm going to bench you, he just goes to his donor, right? 
It's like, hey, can you talk to the coach? He wants to bench me. I see that happening. You? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a concern from a lot of coaches as well uh, yeah. and administrators is that boosters basically, um, especially the high-level millionaire, billionaire ones, are going to be um, – and there's one specifically in Miami who's been pretty brazen about some things is they're basically like team owners. Um, they're like team presidents, you know, they are bankrolling the football team and um, they are uh, paying the, basically paying a salary an NIL salary uh, to players. And I think there is definitely concern um, that they will have more of an influence on playing time and even recruitment uh, than they ever have. And um, in that story I wrote last week, one of the big topics was, hey, like the big money boosters are back in the locker room like they were in the 60s mm-hmm. and 70s and into the 80s. We saw the SMU stuff happen in the mm-hmm. 80s where all that was going on. Like they're back in the locker room and it's going to be interesting to see what happens to, you know, their um, – their clients, I guess you could say, or their employees, whatever you want to say, when that employee doesn't have success on the football field, how do they respond? What do they do? Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but I, it would hard for it's hard for me to believe that these people who pay are going to be paying and are paying all this money uh, to players will just shrug their shoulders and stay out of everything. I don't yeah. think that happens. We're going to talk about what happens next. First, a word from Shopify, our new sponsor. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for the big businesses, but you know, you can do it as an upstart, a startup, established businesses as well. They can sell everywhere. They can synchronize online. They can do in-person sales, and it can effortlessly happen. Scaling your business is a journey, and it has endless possibilities Like mine, my little business, Shopify powers millions of businesses from first scale to full scale. It reaches customers online across social networks and ever-growing suite of channel integration and apps, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, more. So synchronize your online and in-person sales. Gain insights as you grow a detailed reporting of conversion rates, profit margins, and beyond. It's more than a store. Shopify grows with you. It's this possibility powered by Shopify. So go to shopify.com slash BOSNFL. That's Business of Sports NFL. It's all lowercase, BOSNFL. Get a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash BOSNFL right now. Shopify.com slash BOSNFL. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Back to my conversation with Ross. So where we are now is... The NCA, we heard about this last week and implementation this week. I, I want you to phrase it a little more eloquently than I am. Basically, reapplying, reinstituting, regenerating 
rules that have been on the books for a long time about booster involvement, about donors, about what they can and can't do. And as we said at the top of the podcast, trying to put the genie back in the bottle, the toothpaste back in the tube, the guardrails back in that were never there. Is that a good way to phrase what's going on now? It is. Um, the guidelines that were released kind of just, just offer clarity. You know, over the last 10 months, schools have been asking the NCAA for clarity on, right. on uh, hey, can bo- how much can boosters be involved? Can they be involved with this NIL stuff? Like, give us some idea. And the NCAA really didn't have any um, – didn't, didn't give any answers. Uh, and so they waited 10 months to give answers. Um, it's a little late. Right. Uh, It's a little late to kind of clear up things, especially when the clarity is, oh, yeah, boosters can't be involved in collectives run by boosters can't be involved in recruiting when clearly that's that's happening uh, and been happening. Uh, And then the NCAA wants schools to control their boosters or the schools will be sanctioned and the schools can't be involved in NIL. It's been very clear. Some of the state laws say that. Um, And so how are the school is supposed to control their boosters if they can't be involved really it's really complicated it's it's a, just a, it's really a mess and i don't know yeah that you can get the genie back in the bottle i think the guidelines probably scared a little bit of the boosters and the collectives a little bit maybe they're maybe some of them push pause a little maybe they'll not be as public and brazen now um Maybe they'll just get around this, and there's an easy way around this. Um, and a lot of a lot of teams are doing this already. It's when you're in the recruiting process, you say, "Hey, my current player is making this. We're not promising you anything, but this is what's going on at my school as it pertains to NIL." Um, but like I said earlier, we saw that was that started all this, and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Where you actually got deals being offered to prospects so maybe you don't see that as much now i I don't know um i don't know that these guidelines would change anything unless there's enforcement though you know and there's got to probably be somebody that's made an example out of and because of a fear out of antitrust lawsuits i don't know that the ncaa is going to aggressively pursue the enforcement of this seems like there are two issues with enforcement you bring up the first, of course, there will be lawyers, which is my catchphrase. Uh, Gene Smith, the AD at Ohio State, actually said it in your reporting that we expect lawsuits. Um, I don't know if he expects to fight them and spend millions on legal fees, but he did say that. And the second problem with enforcement that you've talked about repeatedly is the reduced bare bones staff of the NCAA. And I don't know if this came out of the pandemic, but it just seemed like they went down to a skeleton staff because either they don't want to support these people with payroll or they don't worry about enforcement. So you have those two big obstacles to enforcement. Do you think, A, that they can enforce this and B, that schools are rolling their eyes, basically saying they're not going to enforce this? Um, I, I think what they really want to happen, and I think Gene Smith said it in that story of mine last week, is they want schools to enforce it themselves, right? They want schools to um, control in, in, in their boosters and, and make sure the boosters know that if they recruit to NIL, um, that they'll be disassociated in some way uh, and the school will be sanctioned. So 
I think the threat of sanctions in general, they're hoping keep things in line and they're hoping the schools do most of the enforcing. It, it is hard for me to see the NCA enforcement staff, which, as you mentioned, is down 15 to 20 people going back to COVID, the pandemic layoffs. Um, I had I asked somebody else, I said, why don't these people have been rehired? And the person said, who the hell would want to work at the NCAA? So apparently they're having trouble maybe getting people uh I don't know, but uh, they are down in force staff and um, uh, they're going to, it's, it's, I guess it's very difficult. Andrew, you know, this, you know, being an attorney, like um, if they're going to enforce it, they need to have proof that uh, there was an inducement made. Yeah. Well, if a booster and a collective has all these documents saying, here's the quid pro quo, um, with this athlete, here's the date that it was signed on after the kid, you know, signed or whatever committed to the school. Uh, how do you, even though you know it was probably an inducement, how do you prove that it is an inducement? Um, and that's going to be the big thing moving forward with some of this enforcement stuff. You know, it was interesting because, as you know, there in part of this run up to NIL, there was going to be a third party establishing fair market value. And full disclosure, I was contacted about that being part of that committee that would establish because of my experience on both sides of the business of sports. When a week later they called and said, Oh, by the way, you're with Villanova. You can't do this. And I said, okay. Um, but the RFPs were sent out and that like everything else that went away. So I think there's an issue there. So like I mentioned, the, the, the offensive lineman at Texas for $50,000 does it sound crazy that they just show up to charities and get that? Well, who's examining fair market value, right? So if the, like you said, if the Texas paperwork is, this is what they're get paid, you know, and this is what we think it's worth. Who's going to talk about market value there? Now, this is, again, brings back to the day where guys showed up for summer jobs and were handed $50,000 envelopes. Yep. That seems to be where we are. And that sort of leads me to that. I want to follow up on something you said about John Ruiz, these kind of owners in these athletic programs. Ruiz in your article was very clear that, hey, just what you said, I'm not the university and I get a quid pro quo and they're on my social and they're doing this and they're doing all these things for me. That would seem to give him immunity from antitrust. I mean, uh, immunity from enforcement. And that, like you said, seems to be maybe a model that other schools can use. Right. And I think I think some especially I know collectives, I mean, they've hired, you know, a lot of these a lot of these guys are are attorneys and um, they're pretty savvy businessmen and very successful businessmen and business people. And um, they have hired uh managing sites like open doors to kind of like make sure they have all their ducks in order, kind of almost preparing for an NCA investigation. They've got it all. They've got all the documents that, um, that uh, detail the quid pro quos. And yeah, how do you, if you're the NCA, how do you prove that it's, it's an inducement? I, I don't know. And then someone like John Ruiz, you know, he's, he's kind of a whole nother story just because, you know, he's a billionaire and, he doesn't seem to, uh, you know, like the NCAA at all. And he seems to be bringing, uh, he seems to be picking a fight. Uh, he seems to want to 
want to actually go to court and want to throw all the money that he can at a court, uh, a lawsuit against the NCAA. And he just might get it. I guess he just might get what he wants, but the NCAA again has got to prove that uh, these things are inducements and it's so hard to do. And I think he knows it's so hard to do. And he's been keeping track from what I understand of everything. He's, yeah. he's got a bunch of lawyers working for him and he's got documents that show the deliverables and you know, that these, these people are working for him and his, his brand and, and they are, uh, they are advertising and marketing for it. Um, and it has nothing to do with sports. Uh, so again, it's one thing to say, well, of course they're inducements. Um, <laughs> I mean, he, he, he announced the commitment of a basketball player while yeah. also at the same time announcing the, uh, players deal with his company. Um, so of course they are inducements, but proving it is is going to be difficult. You know, it's interesting because you have this. I've heard this story too, and maybe you know you've heard it that these collectives are not only hiring not only hiring lawyers and managers, but they're hiring associate ads. Like so, an associate ad, I don't know what they make, hundred fifty, two hundred grand, and they're paying them three fifty, four hundred, five hundred grand to come work for the collective. Like you talk about raiding the hen house. Wow. Yeah. At least uh, I found in that, that kind of investigation last last week with the NIL story I did, I found at least five cases where uh, a collective had hired, I think three of the five had hired um, a former compliance director or associate AD for compliance. One of them hired the former football chief of staff. Hmm. Uh, so – it's yeah, it's it's really interesting. Uh, you know, they're not supposed to be working with one another, but clearly they're they have an association with one another. Uh, in especially in compliance matters, are communicating. Yeah, I tell my students, you talk about a growth area for sports law compliance right now. Yes. <laughs> uh, before I let you go, just a word about Congress. We've followed this over the past couple of years as well. Bills. On both sides of the aisle, this is clearly a bipartisan issue. Uh, the Marco Rubio bill, the Cory Booker bill, the Blumenthal bill, the, the Warner bill. Uh, obviously, there's a lot going on in this world that Congress is paying attention to besides college sports. But where do you see congressional action and when? Certainly not this year, uh, not before the midterm elections. Uh, I think it'd be very, very difficult for uh, for that to happen. Um, I, I don't know that I even see it next year from talking to people. Um, it's going to be hard. Uh, they couldn't get it done last year. And basically, as you probably know, they couldn't get it done because the Democrats and Republicans disagree on exactly what a bill should look like. Um, right. They they agree. They disagree on a lot of things, but the, the top one is the the. Uh, the breadth of a bill. Um, Democrats want a broad bill, right? That encompasses not just NIL, but all kind of other uh, health and safety, college athlete. Yeah, yeah, uh, protections like in the health and safety, long-term health and safety stuff. Maybe even revenue sharing. A couple of them mentioned. Um, and then the Republicans want a very narrow bill, just with NIL. And they, you know, last summer, uh, Roger Wicker, Republican. And I believe Richard Blumenthal, Democrat, were working on kind of a some kind of bipartisan, and they just couldn't agree. And I think the the real issue was the long term health care. Um, that was a real issue, and 
You know, I, I think uh, Senator Wicker uh, didn't want to include it in the bill. And Blumenthal, who had, I think, made some compromises in other areas, had wanted that to stay, that that was a necessity. And that's kind of where it fell through. And I'm, I'm sure they're trying to read, you know, Greg Sankey and George Kalavkoff, the two commissioners were up in D.C. last week trying to meet, meeting with some of these key lawmakers. Um, but we're, we're a year away, I think, from something happening federally. So that brings me to my last question. What happens? And I know uh, we don't have crystal balls here, but you think the NSA is looking for a test case to try to sort of act of an act of deterrence? I mean, what what is going to happen with these new guidelines, if anything, in your opinion? Well, I, I think that in order for the um, landscape to to kind of have some regulation, uh, you've you've got to enforce. You got to find somebody to make an example of. You right. do. Um, I, I I think that most people in college athletics uh, want that to happen and are hoping that happens. I don't. I don't know that that it does because of the concerns, legal concerns that the NCA has, and they're understaffed and all this stuff. I don't know. And you you notice in the guidelines, there's that one clause about retroactive, you know, past deals that are egregiously against violate the interim policy can be, you know, the enforcement staff can can review and investigate them. So it's given them the green light to do it. Um, I think a lot of people want it done. Um, and if you're not going to do it, I don't know that these guidelines really matter. Um, but I don't know what's what's next. You know, if they don't if they don't find somebody to to enforce and kind of crack down on, um, you know, things are going to go a little bit more probably under the table like they had been. And uh, in college athletics will will march on. I lied. I'm going to ask one more question. Take off your reporter hat now, Ross. Now you've been around college sports, college football, especially for a while. So you think this is good? I mean, do you think the professionalization of big time college sports is just inevitable? Uh, and the innocence of college sports is going to be just for the swimming and hockey and diving and track and tennis and soccer and it's just going to be two systems eventually. Yeah, yeah, that's where we're heading. And, and you, you notice a lot of college athletic leaders the last two or three weeks coming forward and publicly uh, saying um, or publicly supporting a split from the NCAA football, splitting from the NCAA and being run by a separate entity, maybe the commissioners, you know, that does seem to be where we are headed. Um, and I think from that point, you'll see even another split maybe of the top few teams that will go to a professional model where you can collect a bargain with athletes. I think a lot of administrators want that now. Um, yeah. One, 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 a way to collect a bargain and, and it would give some regulation. You could have salary caps, all that stuff. Um, I think that's where we are headed. And do you think what's the ideal pedigree uh, for the Mark Emmert replacement in your opinion? Yeah, everybody asks, you know, who is going to be the replacement? And I think it's more the question is what? Like, what is yeah. the job? What is the NCAA at that point? <laughs> right. Um, you know, if you do have a split, especially, I mean, right now we're having decentralization and deregulation where all big decisions are going to be made at the conference level. 
And so at that point, the NCAA exists for running championships and for maybe enforcing bylaws, although that seems to be changing too. Another enforcement entity entity as possible. So what is the NCAA? Uh, You know, and I I think putting on March March Madness, basically. (laughs) Right. That's the biggest thing. Right. And I think we'll have a better idea after the NCAA Transformation Committee finishes its work, maybe this fall or this winter by January, we'll have a better idea of what the NCAA will be and its power and authority. But um, it's hard to say who should be in that job when you really don't exactly know what that job does. Well said. We'll leave it at that. Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated. This has been fascinating. And, and the look that every, on, and the issues everyone's talking about NIL, it's, we are at, truly at an inflection point of college sports. Thanks for being with me. No problem. Thank you. Yeah, I really hope you enjoyed that. I mean, this is the issue in college sports and maybe even professional sports and what happens if students, maybe they even stay and, and don't come out in the NFL draft or NBA draft because of this. Some we're going to follow and something we really got into in a good way with Ross. Hope you enjoyed it. You can follow me on Twitter as always, Andrew Brandt. Instagram, Andrew Brandt 2, Clubhouse ADB719. My newsletter, go to andrew-brandt.com. Or even if you want to see me every day, andrew-brandt.com slash SBL for the Sports Business League. Thanks to my producer, Brian Neal, musical producer, Sam Brandt. And give us a rating, if you would, on Apple Podcasts. Share this podcast with a friend. We'll see you next week when we'll be back with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.